John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Let's go ahead and read that. This is the word of the Lord. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer uh, as we get into our time of the sermon. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, uh, this morning with thanksgiving in our heart that you grant us the words and the ears and the hearts to receive uh, from you this morning. God, you are our strength, and it's through the foolishness of man that you confound the wise. Uh, We are but your servants, your vessels used for honorable use, and we pray that you do that in this time. God, you are a good God, a loving God, and we give you all praise, glory, and honor for that. May you be glorified in this time and your son be shown in his fullness as he should be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right, so do y'all remember how these uh, last year, early on last year and at the end of 2019, that you had a lot of these so-called prophets and TV preachers that were extremely adamant about 2020 being this year of vision and and it's going to be this wonderful, fantastic year. Was it, was it just me or do we remember hearing those type of things? Yeah, right. This is your year of vision and perfect vision and all that stuff, right? That, that, was, that was what was preached from pulpits all over the place. Um, now, my biggest issue with that is a, is a story for another day. But 2020, right, that, that, the vision that we have, 2020, is, is what I wanted to kind of bring to mind this idea of seeing clearly, right? What, you're, what you see at 20 feet is what you're supposed to see at 20 feet. That's 2020 vision. Um, but we also say hindsight is 2020. And I do believe that can be true. Um, it, 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 is, it is helpful to be able to look back on situations and see them with the full picture or a fuller picture. Uh, so hindsight is a, can be a wonderful gift. It can be something that's really helpful for us but it can also be a hindrance if we rely on it too much. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if we use hindsight, the way we read scripture, right, we, we understand what Christ has done. Um, it's, it's helpful for us to know that there's, um, it, it's, wonderful, it's wonderful for us to use it as a tool and see uh, God and his grace through all of scripture. But if we rely on that too much, we lose sight of what's going on in this specific moment, right? The, the things that the disciples are going through in this time. And so I think our passage today is a great example of this hindsight where it could potentially hinder us and our understanding of what's going on in the minds of the disciples. We tend to lose sight of the true mood that they were in, their emotional state, 
and their their mindset, where where their mind was during this time. It's kind of like getting spoilers in a movie, right? When you know what's going to happen at the end, it kind of tapers your uh, emotional roller coaster that that movie sends you on because you already know how it's going to end up. Uh, but if we think about it in this time, they didn't have that. They didn't have that benefit of this of the end goal in mind. As we saw last week during the burial, Joseph and Nicodemus had what you could call, what we call today, a come to Jesus moment. And they stepped up, they boldly walked and uh, in faithfulness to honor their, their, their killed savior. They buried him and all this was done in fulfillment of scripture without them even realizing it. <clears throat> but, you know, and so like I said, hindsight Give, helps us paint this pretty picture of things in the past. It, it really helps us see, like, man, what what Jesus went through is a beautiful thing. What the disciples did was for God's glory, and and we have this like wonderful picture of of that as we go through our uh, through the Gospels. Um, but really, when we think about our own lives and as we go through situations, uh, it's not as beautiful when you're the one burying a loved one, right? When you're in the middle of that, it's not a beautiful thing to experience those feelings and, and to have to go through that trial of loss and pain and, and healing. There's, there's nothing that's, that's inherently that you can feel in that moment that's, that's beautiful. Um, and so I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer, right? But I, I want us to really get into the minds of the disciples. If we think about what's transpired over the last 24 hours for them, there was a lot going on for them. Jesus, at the Last Supper, washed their feet. He tells them his time has come, but they don't quite believe it or understand what he's saying. Uh, he goes to the garden and prays, drops, drops of blood, his sweat is like. Um, he gets arrested. His disciples are scattered. They're fearing for their lives. Peter denies Christ three times. Their whole world is collapsing all around them. The Jewish authorities have have won in their eyes. They won, right? They were they have evaded arrest all this time. They were on the 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 you know the winning team. They thought Jesus was going to reign on earth in that moment, and now he's dead and buried in a tomb, right? That's that's where the disciples are, and even further than that, one of their own, right? One of this inner circle, Judas, who was unknown as an unrighteous. Um, uh, deceiver. They didn't know. He, he must have been one of the more righteous ones, considering they had no idea that it was going to be him to, uh, to disobey or to uh, turn in Christ. Now he's hung himself, right? He's, he's dead, right? So you have 11 disciples, one of them's dead, and your Savior's dead, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so they're, they're hiding, they're scared, they're confused, they're lost. They're sheep without a shepherd, right? That, that's the mindset that they're in. So as one of these disciples, what are they to do? Where, where is hope found? How do they get beyond this moment? Because right now, Jesus is dead. Right? And they're, in their mind, Jesus is dead, and they don't know what to do with that. Now, that, that's, that's something to, to consider. Not only was he dead, but then the, the women go to the tomb to add more spices, and now the, the tomb's empty. So, you know, there's a lot to go on here, right? We have the benefit of hindsight. They don't, right? So what is, where, where are all these emotions taking them, right? If we were in their shoes, where would we be thinking? You know, um, so I, I kind of thought about that, and it seemed very providential in this time that as a church, not, not trying to equate Pastor Ricky with Christ at all, but pastor's battling for his life right now. That, that's what he's going through. 
Death is at his door. We, we can't get beyond that. Uh, there, there is a lot going on in his life and then it, the ripple effect in all of us. Uh, all this is, is shaking people's faith. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a terrible time, right? It, it, that if we're, if we're focusing on our situation, it is a terrible time right now. Um, personally for me, right? Trying to juggle, uh, my home life, right? Being there for my wife, being there for my kids and then at work, trying to stay focused while I'm at work and not focus on too much stuff outside of work. And then the duties of the church, right? Trying to bear this weight and, and, and walk, and serve and do the things that I'm supposed to do, trying to make sure things are being maintained, right, as well as possible. Now, like I said, I'm not saying this for pity. I'm just trying to paint the picture for you. Like, I, I think we can relate to where they are in this time. Now, you know, pastor is on the road to recovery. It, it may be it may be months. You know, I, we don't know how long it's going to take, but that's kind of where he's at. And I think reading this account in light of this situation that we have, we can see some parallels between the two. And I think that helps us get into their minds to help us fully understand what's going on in this passage. And then as we do that, we'll see why the tomb is empty and how we can relate that to our lives. And so that's kind of the idea. The, the big idea for today is that we're going to kind of talk through some of those things, getting our mindsets within their minds. Um, and then we're going to have a couple of things we discussed through our passage. So what are those things that we're talking about in the passage? Well, one is the disciples or the women and the disciples visiting the tomb what happened there uh, we're going to talk about what was in the tomb and then we're going to talk about the response to that tomb those are the three things that we're going to try to focus on today to help us understand what's going on and then find encouragement through this through the passage um, as we as we walk through those so <clears throat> um, yeah let's go ahead and start that so we're going to look at the first four verses this is where we see the the visitation, right there, as they they visit the tomb, and if you've spent any time in the Bible, right, you've read the gospel accounts. You know, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, I, I think it's it's you'll pretty quickly recognize that John's account of the of the resurrection scene varies, not varies, but there's details that are omitted from his account that you would find in Matthew or Mark or Luke, right? There's in in what we see in in John's gospel. We don't see the soldiers. We don't see the angels. We don't see the earthquake. We don't hear about the other women. It's only Mary Magdalene that's mentioned here. There's a lot of things that are missing out of John's account, right? So as we read this account, then you go read Matthew's account in chapter 28 or Mark's account in Mark 16 or Luke's account in chapter 24. You read John's and you're like, this doesn't even sound like the same thing they're talking about. And so... Um, there's a potential there where those who are atheist or reject the Christian faith as being true, they may read these and say, look, th these are contradictions right here, right? You can't, your, your apostles can't even get on the same page to write their gospel accounts. They, they sound too different. They don't even sound like they're the same thing. John only talks about Matthew or about Mary Magdalene and these others mention these other situations. How do we, how do we respond to that if the claim is Matthew's account contradicts Mark's, Mark's account contradicts Luke's, and Luke's account contradicts John's, right? How, how do we reconcile these things? Uh, because there's a lot of differences. And, and so that's something I think that we need to spend our time when we consider this them visiting the tomb. Um, and I'll be honest, the first time I remember, man, this was probably eight years ago. No, nah, I guess we've been here eight years. I guess it was like 10 or 12 years ago. 
the first time I read through the gospel accounts, because uh, I've been, yeah, I guess I've been saved 12 years. And so like 12 years ago, I'm reading the gospel of John. And then I went back and I was like, man, what happened with the, I know there's angels and different things going on here. And so I read Matthew's account. And I was like, this doesn't even sound the same. And so like, I got scared and like shut my Bible. I'm like, I'm just not going to deal with this. Right. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to believe this. There's something wrong with the Bible. Right. That's where I'm, that's where my mind went. And, um, you know, I think that's something that, that maybe, maybe you've dealt with as well. Um, but the, the question comes up if, if, if I read this and I find what I think are contradictions or errors, do I just disregard what the Bible says or do I try to find answers for it? Do I just accept it by faith that, it's, that there's things that are wrong or, or what do I do? Do I try to reconcile the accounts? Um, I think that's something that, that we need to be honest about because these are questions that come up. If you're if you got grown kids, uh, you may have received these kind of uh, responses from them where they're like, well, I can't even believe it because these, you know, these they're contradictions in the Bible. All these contradictions are in the Bible and I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Uh, that may be you or friends or family or whatever. I think this is something that we should consider. Uh, so how do we how do we answer that? Well, I think an easy way to kind of answer it, which doesn't get to the bottom of it, but an easy way to kind of wrap our minds around the differences in the Gospels is the fact that if you ever heard somebody describe a, a party that they were at, right? If two people were at a birthday party, you're like, hey, tell me about the party, right? One person will give these accounts and then you ask someone else and they give you some other stuff. Well, it's not that either one of them is lying, right? It's just what was important to this person may not have been important to this person, right? So there's going to be some carryover between the two, but they're, they're, you may get a different feeling from this person than this other person. Now, you may say, well, even that is human and we're, we're frail and faulty and there's error and, and they may not even tell that story right. You know, this is God's word. It's supposed to be without error, without fault. We shouldn't have to worry about those type of human things. And to a certain extent, I, I would say, yeah, I agree. You know, we, we don't, that's not a, a, a full answer to, to use to respond to someone. But I think that's part of it. Um, so how do, we, how do we address it? Well, I think how we address it is, is personal, right? We are to be, um, we have to come to different, under, not different understandings. We have to come to an understanding that God's word is true and then study it. Right? We need to spend time in his word. Uh, we have to understand that these are written at a different time. Uh, they were written by different cultures. And oftentimes we're just lazy in our understanding of scripture. Right. And so I think that's a big thing. We impose our beliefs and ideologies on the scripture in the way that we think and the way that these things were written. And then we come to different conclusions. And so why do I say that? Well, I think it's important for us to study the word and to try to seek these answers as we mentioned in our reading of the confession, that scripture is going to interpret scripture, right? That's where we get the clarity. Second uh, Timothy 2.15 tells us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. If you have the King James, it says, study and show thyself approved, right? That, that's that, that understanding. Get into the word of God and try to figure these things out for yourself. Uh, it takes study, hard work, prayer, and then ultimately the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's how we ultimately come to any conclusions in the word of God. Uh, but that's not for you. You're like, OK, well, that doesn't answer the question about the resurrection right now. Like, give me an answer. You're right. But I think as we study the word of God, that's something that needs to be in the back of our mind. Well, how do I get this answer? Keep reading. Keep reading the Bible. But like I said, 
how are we going to harmonize this? Because that's what we're talking about today, this specific passage. Well, we don't have time to go through everything, uh, but we do have to understand first and foremost that Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John all had intended audiences when they wrote their Gospels. Right? There was a, a particular audience that Matthew wrote to, so he was going to include certain details. Mark, the same thing. Luke, the same thing. John, the same thing. John wrote his gospel 20, 30, maybe even 40 years after the other gospel accounts. And so what they said, he didn't have to repeat that, right? That was all said around the same time. So he, more than likely, his idea of when he was writing his gospel didn't have to include all of those details. Those details were already understood, right? So he can add to the story by not bogging down his gospel account uh, in order to get, to, to get his point across. And why, why one of the reasons I think it's important for us to understand that and the cohesiveness of the gospel accounts is what we see Paul say in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, he talks about how um, the apostles gathered 14 years after Paul's ministry started to kind of reaffirm and, and confirm that they were preaching the same gospel. These guys didn't live on islands and just kind of not deal with each other. They were, they were intimately involved in each other's lives. And so therefore, if, if one mentioned one thing in the gospel and the other mentioned another thing, it wasn't that they were contradicting each other. Their stories matched even 14 years later. Um, so let me, let me keep going as far as how we harmonize these stories, because I think what is important for us to understand is the fact that one gospel may give us these, these facts and then this gospel will give us these facts and then we're able to put them together and get this fuller picture. And so one of the things we see in our passage today, just to kind of try to keep it brief, John um, only mentions Mary, right? We see that in verse one. He only mentions Mary in his gospel account, uh, but he doesn't say that it was only Mary, right? We don't see where he says that it's only Mary. He just, he just mentions Mary and it's thought, it's believed that he mentioned her as the representative of the other women. Well, how do we know that? Well, by verse two, whenever Mary goes to the disciples and she speaks to them, this is what she says. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Right. She's speaking on behalf of the women that were with her. Right. She, if she had said, and I don't know where he is, there would be some doubt as to the the. Um, being able to reconcile these accounts, but she's clearly making reference to the fact that it was more than just her at the gravesite. And so when we think about that, well, who are the we? Mark uh, mentions Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And then if you were to go to Luke's account, he mentions another woman named Joanna. So we know there was at least four women there at the gravesite whenever Jesus uh, was, was, excuse me, whenever the tomb was empty. So um, that's kind of a quick, quick, quick apologetic style approach as to the understanding that we come to when we read the passage. But I think to understand what's going on in this passage, it's good for us to kind of take all four Gospels and kind of condense them down into a brief summary. And so I want to do that with two, four, six, seven, seven bullet points. Uh, if you'd like, I can print up these notes because I think it helps us understand as we read these different accounts, this is like a chronological order of how they occurred. Because I think this is something that kind of messes with us when we hear the angels here, but we don't hear about the angels there. This one, they're sitting on the tomb. This one, they're inside the tomb. And, you know, there's these different things where we're like, man, how do we make sense of this? But I'm just going to just run through these quickly to kind of help us gain this picture. So 
this is what happens. If we're looking at our passage today, verses 1 through 10, these are the things that occurred between John and the other Gospels. So first, at least four women, that are, these are the four women that are mentioned. We don't know if there was more. Uh, Mary, uh, Mary, mother of James, Salome, and Joanna prepare these spices and visit the tomb. This is, this is found in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Then there's an earthquake as the angel descends and rolls away the stone and then sits on it. And at the sight of this, um, these angels, or this angel in particular, the guards faint. Right? This is what happens in Matthew's account. Um, then the women find the tomb empty. Mary Magdalene leaves the other women to go tell the disciples. That's in our passage today. Then the women who stuck around, apparently only Mary left, maybe Mary and another one left, but the others stuck around. Uh, they see the two angels and they tell them that Jesus is risen and he's no longer in the tomb. And, he's in, and the angels instruct these women to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. Right? This is found in Matthew's account. Uh, Mark and Luke's account that this this is what's happening next. Now, as those women are leaving and they're going to take this news to the disciples, Jesus meets them on the road back. And then that's when he reveals himself to these other women. Now, at this time, the guards are apparently waking up and they they leave because they see the open tomb. They go to the council and they're bribed to stay quiet uh, and, and say the body was stolen. This is this is mentioned in Matthew's gospel. Now, after all of this, this is by this time, Mary makes her way to, the, to uh, Peter and John, and then they run to the tomb and find it empty. No Jesus, no angels, uh, only the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth folded up. So that's kind of our passage today in a nutshell as far as what's going on concerning all the different gospel accounts. Like I said, if you want this in a, in a, in a, four, like in a sheet, I can print it out for you because, like I said, for the sake of time, there's a lot of stuff. But I think it's, it's, we can reconcile these... Um, these stories, you know, the, these accounts from the different gospels by just reading them together and then understand, OK, well, this happened here as we read it. These come together and, and this is there. So that's that. Right. If, if you're looking for an understanding of these multiple gospels. Yeah, there is no contradiction there. This is how they could play. This is how we can see them coming together to get the full picture. Now, Something else that I felt that was important for us as we see what's going on in this passage, there's a lot of people that consider Christianity uh, misogynistic or chauvinistic or uh, anti-women or, or whatever, right? That it's a women-hating religion. There's a lot of people that, that feel that way. And I think it's important for us to understand we can clearly see this is not the case in our passage today. For one, these women loved Jesus, right? They didn't hate him. Well, why, why didn't they hate him? They loved him because he first loved them, right? Jesus loved these women, right? I, I think that's clear for us to say, and that's most important, right? We love because he first loved us. These women loved him because he loved them. There's no reason for God to hate women if we see in Christ, who is God in the flesh, loving these women, right? Clear as day right here for us. Secondly, who did Jesus first appear to? He appeared to the women, Right. The women is who we appear to first. Now, in Jewish culture, uh, you've probably heard this before, but women were considered second class citizens sinfully. That was a sinful thing that they did. And their uh, testimony wasn't um, valid in, in a court of law. So they were they were disregarded. But that those were sinful behaviors that the Jewish people took on upon themselves to suppress women. That doesn't mean that that's what God had intended for them to do. Um, as we know. Women are to be treated as precious, 
delicate and valuable. And as Peter mentions, the weaker vessel. Now, this them being the weaker vessel does not denote or does not like lessen value, purpose or ability. But if you think about it, you don't treat your work boots the same way you treat your jewelry. Right. They're, they're different. They're, they're different things. Um, so I think that's important for us to understand. There, there is purpose for men and women. They're distinct and they're complementary. And Jesus clearly shows his, his, his love for women in this passage today. Now, that's a, that's a little aside, but I felt like it was important for us to see even in this passage today. Now, as the disciples get to the, to the tomb, it's somewhat of an anticlimactic scene, right? They hear Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. They run over there, and it's just empty. It's just an empty tomb with the grave clothes and, yeah, just the grave clothes that are in there. Uh, but that's, that's what I want to talk about next. What's the significance there? Why... What about the contents of the tomb? If we see this is what happened as they visited the tomb, what transpired there? What are what are the what's the significance of the the contents? Well, for one, Jesus wasn't there, right? His his body wasn't there. Uh, as the what's what's kind of funny is I you know grave robbers was that was a big thing back in Jesus' day. People would take bodies and and mutilate them and do all kind of things to them. And so the thought that could have been in the back of their minds was that that they had robbed, they had stole Jesus's body. But the fact that the facial cloth was folded up and the other clothes were there would help them believe that there was no issue with, with the grave robbers, right? Grave robbers aren't going to, if someone breaks into your house, they're not making it, they're not cleaning it up, right? When they're in there, they're going to destroy stuff and get what they, what they want. Um, But this wasn't the case with Jesus. His clothes were still there. Now, Matthew Henry makes a comment on this. And I I found this very uh, helpful for me was uh, he comments about Jesus' clothes being left in the tomb. He says, when Lazarus was raised to life, he came out in his grave clothes because he was going to die again. But Christ left his grave clothes in there because he was raised to never die again. Amen, right? That, I, that, that, was, that was awesome, like, figurative, uh, symbolic uh, language that's used there that we see. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Right. So we see throughout scripture, there's many examples of people being raised to life. Uh, Paul did it. Uh, Jesus did it. Uh, we see it when he died. There was tombs that opened up and people walked out. Uh, we see it in, with Elijah and other people in the Old Testament. But all those people died again. Right. They were raised to life, but they all died again. But Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that conquered death, right? He's the one that was able to uh, be raised to life and, and never die again. So what we see in these miracles that are performed throughout scripture, they, they, don't, they don't stop with, with them. They point to the greater reality found in Christ, right? Elijah, David, Paul, who, or whoever, maybe not David, but these men who prophesied and raised dead bodies back to life, their power was limited, right? They were able to bring these people back to life, but they eventually died again. Christ, whenever he was raised to life, he was raised to life incorruptible, right? Immortal, eternal. And same with us. As we are in Christ, when we die, right, we're going to be raised to life and, and it's going to be, everything's going to be made new and we'll never experience that death again. So that's, that's, a, that's kind of what we can see with the contents of the tomb, right? That they show that Christ's power over death um, but then let's look at verses 8 through 10. It says this. This is where we see the response of the disciples here. It says, then the other disciple who, was, who had reached the tomb first 
uh, this speaking of John, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now they saw the empty tomb and they believed. Well, what did they believe? Right? I mean, they, could have, they believed the women that, that Jesus wasn't in there anymore. Uh, what did they believe? Well, they believed Jesus, right? Who just two days ago died and is living again. Right? They believed that Jesus was alive. Uh, they didn't have quite the deepest understanding of what was going on, um, but they believed it to be true. And I think this is important for us to understand. These, are, these disciples are just men, right? They haven't been indwelt uh, by the Holy Spirit in this special way that's poured out at Pentecost. So all things that Jesus spoke to them haven't been brought back to light. Um, so they didn't have perfect theology, right? These men did not have perfect theology in this time, uh, but neither did the thief on the cross, right? The thief on the cross may not have been able to articulate the Trinity or the hypostatic union or any of these other things. But he knew who Christ was. Right. And that, that was what he knew. Christ was the one that was that had saved him. And these men had that same type of um, understanding. And I think when I see this, um, when it's when it, we're told that that they didn't have they didn't understand yet. It's not like they didn't come to that understanding. And, and I think that's important for us, because as we get saved, we become, you know, we're baby Christians and our understanding is very immature. But as we grow in our faith, our understanding should grow more and more as we're spending time in his word, spending time with his people, serving his people, doing all of these things. His word should infiltrate more and more of our lives and we should be growing uh, as Christians. Right. Because it says for as yet they did not understand. Right. It's not saying that they never understood. Right. They eventually spent more time in the word. They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They all these things came together to help them gain a better understanding of who Christ was. And so I think that's important for us to see, right? These were common men, fishermen, tax collectors, laborers. They, didn't, they weren't uh, Pharisees and scribes and, and experts in the law. These were just common folks like you and I. Uh, but they didn't stay there, right? In their knowledge, they didn't stay basic or, you know, with, with a simple understanding. They grew in their knowledge of the word. And I think that's something that hinders us as a church today, right? A, a laziness in our growth in, in Christ, right? If we are not spending time in his word, spending time with his people, trying to grow in our faith, uh, we're, we're wasting our times. Uh, we, we should be trying to deepen our relationship with the Lord. Think about any relationship that you have, uh, your marriage or knowing your kids or, or, or your best friend, you don't spend time not getting to know the person, right? You, get, you spend time getting to know them and know them personally, right? Uh, I think that's important for us to understand when it comes to the word of God. Like it is not about us just sitting back and, and just putting it in cruise control. Uh, it's important for us to, to understand our relationship with the Lord. As the church, we are the bride of Christ. That, that's who we are, right? We're in a, in, a, in, a, in a union with Christ. That's who we are as the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. Just like you with your spouse, you spend time getting to know them. That's how we should be uh, with Christ. Now, back to the passage. It, it ends kind of in a weird way. It, it kind of ends in this weird way when it says, then the disciples went back to their homes, right? It kind of seems like it's just kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me. When I read that, I was like, then they went back home. Like, okay, like what, what now? Like, you know, help me, like, is that it? Um, but yeah, you know, if you think about it, they had knowledge of their risen savior and then they went back home. They, they were still fearing for their lives, right? Jesus, he, he had still been killed. The, the Jews still hated them. 
um, you know, there was there was still stuff to be fearful of in their eyes. And so, yeah, they 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 took this knowledge and they went back home. They heard from the women and they went back to Galilee. And so as I thought about that, like after this this tragic and just roller coaster of emotion at times, like that's where they went. They went back home. That's that's where we go. Right. We go home whenever we want to feel safe and comfortable and and relax. I mean, that that's that's the place where we go. Uh, and that's what they did. Right. They were they spent some time together and, you know, we don't know what they talked about, but it had to be crazy to understand the Savior had risen, you know, resurrected Christ, no body in the tomb. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> that's kind of where we, we can see this passage going. And as far as the resurrection goes, we're going to see more about that next week. Uh, but, but this empty tomb is kind of where we are today. That's, that's where we're going to kind of round out our time. So as we as we close, as we spend, you know, we kind of come to a closing here. What's the, the big takeaway for us? What are some things that we should come to a conclusion with as we think about the, the, the travel to the tomb, the contents of the tomb, and then their response to that? Um, I've been kind of thinking about it a little bit. And, and you know, the, the, prep, the prep this week has been kind of condensed and, and all over the place with, with everything going on. But I do believe that there's a lot for us to glean from this passage. There's more than I can get to today, obviously, but um, I think it's important for us to take what God has shown us through his word and then apply it to our lives. So what's some things that we can see? Well, I think one thing that we can see clearly, if we put ourselves in the, in the, in the shoes of the apostles, right, or the, the disciples at this time, uh, where they are, right, what they're thinking, uh, what's going through their head through this time, all hope appears to be lost. Right. If we, if we think about Jesus dying, them being scattered, Peter denying Christ, Judas hanging himself, them fleeing and thinking all is lost. They, they all things appeared hopeless. Right. Everything appeared to be done. And then the, the tomb is empty. Right. They, they don't know where Jesus is. They don't you know that that initial thought. Um, but then, like I said, uh, the Jesus reveals himself to the women. They hear about this news and they understand now why the tomb is empty. Death has no power over, over our king, right? This is what we see here, right? We, we have all this stuff going through our minds and, and situations that are, that are daunting and, and paralyzing at times, uh, but the tomb is empty, right? That, that's what they saw. They saw an empty tomb. Death didn't conquer Jesus. Uh, what he did, he said he would do, and, and he did it. And then what he says he'll continue to do, he will continue to do. I, th I think that's important for us to understand as we see this passage. We see this empty tomb and it, it, it shows us that Jesus didn't stay dead, right? He didn't stay in the tomb. He didn't stay dead. Nothing had power over him. He laid his life down of his own accord and he had the authority to pick it back up. That's what he tells us in John 10. And so if this is who Jesus is, if that's who our king is, he does what he says he's going to do and he does it. Um, he also tells us that all things work together for our good, right? If he says that, then that's what's, that's what's true. Now, <clears throat> kind of piggybacking off of what I said in our opening, talking about pastor, um, you know, we, we, had a, we had a conversation last night and, and I kind of talked to him about the sermon and then uh, him telling me about where he was and how he's kind of had this spiritual reawakening. It was, it was, um, it was helpful. It was helpful for both of us to have that combo and, and like I said earlier, like he's he's in there, 
you know, without trying to sound dramatic at all, but he's battling for his life, right? He, he has a tough time breathing, and, and, you know, he said it's like, feels like he's breathing through a straw, right? And, and then just going to the bathroom or anything is just taxing and takes a heavy toll on him, and he's there by himself. There's nurses and stuff, but can't have visitors, right? I mean, so he, he's there by himself, and so there is this hopelessness in that situation, right? If you're looking at it from the outside, there is this, this hopelessness in that situation. Uh, but if we remind ourselves, just like with the disciples, that tomb is empty, right? We can look to that tomb and see it's empty. There's hope there now, right? He, he didn't die and stay dead. And so we, what we can take from that is the fact that what pastor's going through, uh, what Alicia's going through, what that family, what we as a church are going through is for our good, it's it's hard for us to understand that as we're in the middle of it, but this is for our good, right? If there was things in, in pastor's life that he needed addressed, that God had to use to point out to him to, to uh, prevent him from relying on himself and relying more on Christ, this is what God saw fit to bring about, to bring that in. And so it, it's, it's this, this, um, this, this hard thing to, to try to recognize that it's these things that bring about God's glory, but then also draws closer to him. And, you know, talking to him uh, about it, like, I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm rattling at this point, but, um, you know, I first got the news about what was going on a while back and, you know, been trying to keep up with him throughout the weeks. Um, something that, that I'm, I would assume y'all know this, but um, Pastor and I are best friends, right? I mean, he, he's, my, he's my best friend, and he would say, the same, right? That's that's who we are for each other, and so you see that, and it's it's terrifying. Like, I don't want this happen to him. I don't want it happen to his family. Uh, I want to do whatever I can to to help, right? And then for him, it's the same thing. He doesn't want to be in that situation. So it, there's this struggle uh, to to do more and to be there for him and to not make it worse. Or you know, when you're talking to someone with the video chat, not breaking down while they're talking to try to be strong for them and stuff. There's all these things going on uh, in, 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 in your life, but then we go back to God's word, right? That's what's true. Like I, what, no matter what, I, what is going on, no matter what uh, I feel like or what encouraging words I think I could share with them, God's word is, is true. Let, let God be true and every man a liar. So as we spoke, I was like, I, you know, I, I don't have anything that I can share with him outside of God's word for encouragement. And so that, that's what I would do. And, and I think about that, like even now, like there's this, this struggle to, to want to do more or want to just weigh, weigh myself down with anxiety and stress for him and then him for his family and everything. But what we see in scripture is that we are to be confident in this, that he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. Right. So the good work that he is working out in Pastor and Alicia and in any of us, God is faithful. He's he's going to complete that work. And so whatever that is, I can be confident in that. I don't have to be confident in the medical staff or uh, how quickly he recovers or anything else. Anybody providing anything that that's good things uh, for him. Like our confidence isn't in things. Right. As the song said, we don't trust in chariots or, or, or horses. Our, our, our confidence is in the name of the Lord, our God. That's where our hope is found. And so um, that's, that's kind of the thing that, that spoke to me, right? I, I think about what's going on in our passage. I think about what's going on today. And we see this empty tomb and that helps, that, that should give us relief. It should give us uh, comfort because 
death doesn't, that's not the end of things, right? Um, God is good and he's faithful and he will, he will keep us here as long as he sees fit. He provides for his people. He loves us better than we love ourselves. And so for you, the same, the same applies, right? What is the biggest hurdle, biggest circumstance, the, the biggest stress in your life? Look to the empty tomb and see that, that Christ isn't there, right? He's not there anymore. He has risen. He has conquered sin, death, and the grave. None of those things have any power over us, so we trust in him. And so I think that's important for us to remind ourselves and to understand and come to these conclusions where um, we have hope, right? We don't, we don't mourn like those without hope. We have hope in Christ and the freedom that comes from him. And so it doesn't matter what we feel, think, or believe to be true. Uh, the word of God is true, and that's what we stand upon. Everything else uh, is sinking sand, but God's word uh, remains true. So that is, that is our, our sermon for today. And as our music team comes back up, um, we all have a time of reflection. <clears throat> um, and we're going to sing a song as we do that. And so what I ask for you to do is to consider what God has done for you, what, where you are in this time, and uh, spend some time in prayer, spend some time um, reflecting on God's goodness to you. And as the song plays, if, if you've spent time in prayer, sing along with us as uh, we continue in this time of, of reflection. So as they prepare, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us before we get into that time. Dear Holy Father, we come to you, Lord, and we are thankful for your word Uh, We pray, Lord, that we are able to see you clearly and to trust in you more. And as things are shaken and torn and tossed, that we are able to trust in you all the more through it. God, it is you and you alone who, uh, where our hope is found. And so we just cling to you and ask you to remind us of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.